Hi, I'm Jillian Swinford. And I'm Haley Brolison. And this is Mother Nature Will Kill You. A podcast about the most horrific tragedies and the most triumphant survival stories that the wilderness can provide. So grab your backpack and maybe a bottle of wine and let's go on a wild ride into the unknown. Walking down this road I go, but I am going alone, running far, far from home, till I am skin and bone. We're on episode 11, so <laughs> we're, we're doing it. <laughs> yes, we are. We're doing the damn thing. Yep. <laughs> Can't hate it. So, how are you? I'm all right. Can't complain. <laughs> That's yeah. going to be my answer for tonight for That's, everyone. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Um. How are you? I'm, I'm good. I am like really wanting to go on vacation. So freaking bad. We have a week. You guys have a week. Yeah, just a week. And, um, I still have to go to work for three days and I don't really have a whole lot to do (laughs) right now. So I'm just kind of like losing my shit because the days are just so long. Like I'm going to have a ton of projects I have to work on. Like as soon as I get back but for right now like none of them need to have anything done yeah so it's like this really annoying timing thing where I can't even like distract myself you know yeah so it's it's You're just sitting there like twiddling your thumbs for the most yeah part. yeah so three more days I can do it I can do it three more days that I don't have to think about work for you know two weeks which will be so nice yeah so great my friend and I booked our trips to Alaska did I tell you about that I saw it on Facebook actually yeah so we're going to Denali gonna camp it's gonna be great gonna be gone for the week that's gonna be awesome I've always wanted to go to Alaska it's still on my my list of places to go so me too I'm super stoked and uh, hopefully I don't come back with any survival stories (laughs) You know, we haven't done an Alaska one yet, which is very surprising. I have one like lined up for later, but we haven't done one. We just keep doing Utah stories. I mean, Utah's got a bunch, so. <laughs> I found more. That's the scary thing is this weekend I found some more. <laughs> you, it's so easy to almost die in Utah. I've done it twice. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, I'm actually, for once, drinking one of our homebrew beers jilly's ale no no i wish i wish i could go get that this is in virginia but this is one we made over quarantine so it's like a summery honey grapefruit and this is the last of it 
the problem is we overcarbonated it. So like this was supposed to be for two people. Like it was a, a big bottle and there's only enough for one person because there was Sorry, so much <laughs> So I was like, well, you know, we're still learning how to do yeah. all of that. <laughs> if you leave it too long, it gets weird. <laughs> it still tastes good though. <laughs> That's so funny. Mm-hmm. I'd like to make my own wine at some point, but yeah, I don't have the mental capacity for that right now. I know. I feel that we have, we haven't made beer in a while. Cause we've just both been like, so zombie. Yeah. And uh, well, thankfully knock on wood, I haven't lost uh, power yet. So we're still holding on. Hopefully we won't have to deal with that. Or if it does happen, it's while we're gone. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Are you going to have someone come check on your house while you're gone? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I got fish that need feeding and plants to water. I don't want to lose my entire tomato garden. Oh my God. I'd be so livid. Yeah. So I was livid enough that like a freaking iguana ate my hibiscus plant. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Like it was so full. The leaves were so full and pretty. And I was really hoping that it was going to bloom soon. And then the next day I came out and they were all gone. Like it was just twigs. Oh like, no! Like, what happened? Why? What fat little iguana? Just like fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. And I was like, this is literally the last thing I need. I was like, I really just wanted a pretty flower to wake up to. But thanks. Yeah. Thank you, iguanas. Yeah. The joys of iguanas, because apparently iguanas like hibiscus leaves. So that makes sense. A lot of things like hibiscus. I like hibiscus. I like hibiscus tea. Oh, were you the one that came over and ate my leaves in the middle of the night? <laughs> yeah. If I was, though, I would have stayed longer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you wake me up in the middle of the night, like tap me on my shoulder. Hey, Haley, um, any more snacks? <laughs> so Corey and I are going to stay for like a week. Is that cool? Okay, great. <laughs> of course, that's already in the back room. You're fine. <laughs> so... Yeah, the joy. I was about to say the joys of living in the tropics, but honestly, that's just the joys of homeowning because, like, in like temperate areas, like in Virginia, it's just like squirrels eating your Halloween pumpkins. It's like the yeah, same. Like yeah. So it's it's just a thing. It's just you deal with different animals wherever you go. So. Yeah, I need to get some chicken wire or something to put around it. Yeah, we we've. <gasps> That's a cute puppy. <laughs> it looks like a baby Marzi. Also, happy anniversary to her. I know. She Little sweet one. Yeah, I guess I should give some, like, because she's technically a survivor. Um, give her a survivor story. Yeah, so she, we found her literally two weeks after we came back from our wedding, which we had in Virginia. We came back to Texas and on Saturday or Sunday or something, my boss texts me and he's like, Hey, there's two little black lab puppies, um, that somebody dumped on the way to, um, where we work, which is pretty much in the middle of freaking nowhere, like coyote and rattlesnake, rattlesnake, like territory. Like it's just ranch land, like cattle land mm-hmm. and it's not really maintained like it's left very wild there's not a lot of people that live down there and so we had been talking about wanting to get a dog for a while 
Um, so we decided to take one of them, but, um, yeah, people, uh, abandon dogs down that road all the time. Um, we're not the first, we're not the first to get puppies or dogs from that at my office. (laughs) There's like two other people that have dogs from, you know, basically getting abandoned, which is super sad. Um, but so it took us three days to get them to get close enough to us, like to take them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one morning I'm driving to work and I had a bag of dog food with me because um, like I was trying to get the puppies. Um, and I see my boss sitting on the side of the road in waiters. <laughs> so, Classic. It's like, what's going on? Tell so me I you get, fisheries without telling me you work in fisheries. Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> So I was like, okay, uh, I get out, I bring the dog food with me. I'm like, Hey, what's going on? He's got one of the puppies just laid out with its belly exposed and just like love and life. And I was like, Oh, great. You got one. Where's the other one? And he points to the fence line and along the fence line is another small puppy just hiding and watching. And so of course, guess which one mine was. The one that was hiding and watching. Yes. <laughs> so, because he was in waders, because it was very tall grass, um, and he didn't want to get ticks or whatever. So he was that. like, "Okay, this is the closest she's gotten since I've been down here. So, this is the only chance I'm going to have." I'm like, "Okay." He's like, "Do you have a hold of the other one?" I was like, "Yep." So he gets up and he is running in his waders like. <laughs> after this dog which was hilarious because you just kind of gotta like jump around a little yeah bit. I was like running in waiters is not easy it's like you're no. clumping <laughs> so he's like booking it after Marzi and then has to tackle her before she escapes into the bush because we had oh. never and then she bit him because she was terrified so <laughs> she would. I mean that makes, I would do the same thing if I were her yeah so so that's how I got my dog and we uh, took her home and she was very skinny and she had some skin problems, but, and eventually we found out she had heartworms. So we had to go through that whole. Oh gosh. Thing, yeah. I'm sure. Which sucked. Um, but she's happy and healthy and slightly traumatized, pretty anxious, but on the whole, a pretty good dog. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. So that's her little survival story. I don't, we don't know how long they were out there. We really don't. Yeah. So yeah, I couldn't tell you Wayland's. I mean, I just heard that he was found on the side of the road and the Humane Society picked him up. And then mm-hmm. I saw his photo on petfind.com and I went and got him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I physically had to. <laughs> well, I didn't tackle. My boss yeah. did. And if you're wondering what happened to the other puppy, he is safe and happy because my boss took him home and they do have puppy playdates. So oh cute I love that so little brother and sister still see each other um cute yeah so that's what story are we getting into while we're on the topic of survival stories well I did want to do a little update on our friend the Florida sewer woman (laughs) that lady which this story has now connected our two states together Uh, so it's just kind of like a special story in my heart now (laughs) yep So basically, um, a couple weeks after she had been found in a storm drain in Florida, 
um, that supposedly she'd been down there for two weeks and survived off a can of ginger ale. Um, they found her in another sewer system in Dallas, Texas. So I don't know if she was visiting family. Um, hey, do you think she went through a sewer system to get there? Do you think she walked? Oh or do my you goodness. Think she <laughs> I wonder if you could do that. Like that would be, I'm curious. I bet you can't. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't even want to know. <laughs> I'm kind of over this lady. <laughs> I know it is kind of funny though. So her name is Lindsay Kennedy and supposedly around May 31st, this was like a couple, well, like a month ago, actually now at this point, she climbed out of a six foot drain pipe and then was transported to local hospital for treatment. And it seems like based on the story, um, her family knew she had gone into the sewer because a family friend had seen her get into the sewer on purpose. So this time, yeah, she wasn't lost. And the family were dropping bags of food and Gatorade near the sewer tunnels in the hopes that it would help her survive until they could find her. Wow. So I'm pretty sure there's a lot of mental illness going on with this story um, because I think she's very much chose to go down there um, on purpose. So, well, and didn't the first article we read, we read about this was um, saying how either her mom or some other family member mentioned that she has a history of making bad choices. Yeah. Some crazy things like this. Yeah. So it's, it's something I feel like that, I don't know. I feel like they made it seem like, well, this is crazy story. Like she survived in the sewer for two weeks, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure she went down there on purpose and maybe had stuff with her to survive that long. This time though, they didn't find her naked. So that's good. Um, but basically she's been taken to a hospital and basically put under observation, um, and hopefully she'll get the help she needs. But for now, that's kind of our wrap up on the uh, Florida sewer woman, Florida sewer woman. <laughs> now Texas sewer woman. Yes. Multi-state so- Southern sewer woman. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was from the uh, UK independent. So now that we've put that aside, I'm going to, real quick take my shirt off because you're gonna get it's naked hot. now <laughs> plot twist I gotta... is the sewer woman <laughs> it's freaking hot okay all right so now that we've talked about her <laughs> now that i've taken I my that shirt you can't off. hear me because your headphones were off when you were taking your shirt off and i was like plot twist jillian is the sewer woman <laughs> i'm the sewer woman it's me <laughs> So um, let's get into the survival story. Today, um, we are going to be talking of about one of the U.S. Coast Guard's most daring sea rescue um, because, yeah, it's a great story. I don't know. I don't know where great. I, was going. <laughs> Sorry. I want to. That's why. That's why we're doing it. Yeah, we're doing it. <laughs> we're doing it. Um, so this, this is another movie that I watched with um my dad when we were 
or he was in the hospital for 15 months. Um, shout out Mr. Sunford. Happy Father's Day. Yeah, shout out. I talked to him today. Don't worry. <laughs> my dad took forever to call me back. I even had to text my mom. I was like, is dad okay? Yeah. <laughs> call me back. Oh my God. Anyway, one yeah. of the movies that you watched with your dad when he was in the hospital. Yeah. So like I said, we watched like a ton of survival movies because we're both low-key obsessed by the way he really likes the podcast um we talked yeah. about it today and he sent us some recommendations so oh, <laughs> um so yeah so this is the rescue of the ss pendleton um and i'll just go ahead and and say this is like a uplifting story for for me for once <laughs> oh boy this is already a relief me I was like I don't know if I can take another death story that's like traumatizing I know I'm so I'm so bad (laughs) I'm just last one we covered though isn't a death story so that's true that's true but uh I just I'm fascinated with death it's a problem that I have I don't want to kill anybody I just want to read you're like just want to read about it I'm totally sane yeah fascinating death it's cool i like to watch murder documentaries so i'm right there with you right exactly um so there are many shipwrecks surrounding the united states especially along the atlantic coast as we know growing up close to the outer banks um, yeah i was gonna say north carolina has a ton yeah they call that the atlantic graveyard or the graveyard of the atlantic whatever um and so the Atlantic coast of the United States has lots of hurricanes um, and winter storms, and they just basically wreak havoc, you know, every hurricane season, every winter. Um, underestimating the power of these waves, even on modern ships, is dangerous, and navigating blind can lead to deadly mistakes in shallow waters. Um, and another area that has a lot of problems with this is the water surrounding Cape Cod. Um, because there's a lot of shoals that shift, especially when you're coming into the Cape. Um, so the SS Pendleton was one of these ships. But the real star of the story is a small 36-foot Coast Guard cutter and the four men who drove it into the storm of a decade. Dun, dun, dun. I was just about to do that. I'm glad you did it first. <laughs> Um, so the Pendleton was a 506 foot over 10 grand ton tanker. So it was a big fucking ship. Um, and it's a ship that sailed the Atlantic for almost 10 years. Um, the captain who's called Captain Fitzgerald was new to the ship, but he wasn't new to the stormy sea surrounding Cape Cod. Um, they had been taking the Pendleton on a usual route ferrying, Um, over 100,000 barrels of kerosene from Baton Rouge, Louisiana to Boston, and the ship was fully laden. Um, It was February in 1952, and storms had already been plaguing the voyage, including one off the coast of Cape Hatteras in North Carolina, which is, you know, the Atlantic graveyard that we just talked about. No, no Hatteras quite well. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now they were steaming towards a blizzard that had been gathering over the Northeast, already laying down nine inches of snow in Boston. This was a classic nor'easter, which is a low pressure system that brings heavy rain, snow, extreme winds, and coastal flooding to usually the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. 
also we've ex- very familiar with those. <laughs> yeah, we've experienced a lot of those because we're kind of right on the cusp of like mm-hmm. hurricane land or like, you know. Nor'easter. We got yeah. tons of nor'easters in college. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but they're not as bad down in Virginia as they are up in uh, New England. That's for I'm sure. sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so by February 17th, the tanker was making its way towards Boston. Um, and many of the New England crewmen were hoping to be reunited with their loved ones, but it would have to wait. Unfortunately, the snow and fog was so thick that Captain Fitzgerald could not see the Boston light. And since the Boston Harbor is dotted with islands, it's unsafe to take the ship into Boston Harbor in those kinds of conditions. So instead, they would ride the storm, ride out the storm offshore, where oddly enough, it often can actually be safer to do in an extreme storm Mm -hmm. than risk getting pushed up onto a shoal or shoreline. And like in hurricanes, I know a lot of ships have done this if it's like a lower category hurricane because the waves aren't as big out there as they are like on shore or that's interesting you would have think like i don't know you would think that it would kind of all be the same it's because um there's not as many breakers because the wave has more depth to work with so it's not Uh, as violent maybe yep maybe as like breakers are like on the shore julian you're so smart you go to college (laughs) as a matter of fact i did I've got two degrees <laughs> and I did it on purpose. Oh God. Imagine accidentally getting two degrees. I know, right? You'd have to like, be whoops. pretty. Somehow stumbled out with my master's. You'd be pretty dumb or like stupid smart to the point where you'd like have no knowledge of anything else besides like what you're focusing on. Like, <laughs> so yeah. So yeah, that's, that's why it sometimes can be better to ride offshore but if like the storm is really bad, it doesn't actually matter. Like you, gotcha. you're probably going to get pummeled anyway. But, but like I said, the storm was a once in a decade kind of nor'easter. They didn't know that yet. So the seas were now the size of small buildings and the crewmen decided to stay put in the safety of the ship than risk the catwalks that ran from the stern to the bow. And, and many of these big tankers like you had to go outside to get to the stern, which was where the, like the pilot house was mm-hmm. and like the bridge, you know, the officers basically. Um, and so other than radio contact, the bow and the stern didn't have any. Actually, I'm sorry. The bridge was in the bow, not the stern. But anyway, the point is they didn't have <laughs> communication <laughs> other than radio. Um and I was so say, like and for people listening the bow is the front of the boat the yeah. stern is the back of the boat yeah. <laughs> to, to I'm sorry I'm getting easier. this I'm getting this one confused with the Fitzgerald the Edmund Fitzgerald which is another ship that went through this similar thing but theirs one was in the stern at a time, billion. <laughs> one ship at a time <laughs> come on um so basically the crewmen in the stern decided not to go to the bow because it's too dangerous to go outside. And this decision ended up saving their lives. Um, Arctic winds continued to pummel the ship from all directions. Um, by 4 a.m. the ship had been pushed to waters um, over the tip of Provincetown, um, which is effectively out of the relative safety of Cape Cod Bay and basically out into the dangerous waters offshore Cape Cod. 
So at 5 a.m., the ship made a thunderous roar as it was pushed up by a wave. And then a large crack shuddered through the entire ship as it crashed down into the trough. Oh, God, that's frightening. Yeah. And I that in my head, actually. <laughs> I know. Th- those of us who have, like, been out on the water, like, serious, you know, blue water. Yeah. Not good. Not good. That's not, that's not a good time. No. Um, so men scrambled. Um, running towards the hatches that led out onto the catwalk, um, heading out to help with whatever damage. Um, An 18-year-old sailor named Charles Bridges from Palm Beach described running outside. The waves were enormous, and their spray was whipping across the deck, mingling with the cold sleet falling. Then I stopped in my tracks because the catwalk floor disappeared. Two more steps and I dropped straight down into the ocean. Oh, fun. Mm-hmm. That's right. These men were on the back half of a ship that was now split in half. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's not. Yeah. So, so were they all on one end of the ship, though? Mm-hmm. So there was like multiple crew members between each half of the ship. Yeah. All of the officers were on the bow. Okay, gotcha, yes. And these men were on the stern. So a lot of these guys were like engineers, mechanics, those kinds of, you know, just eight regular able-bodied seamen, um, kind of the more blue collar. What side of the boat was the galley on? The stern, I believe. Okay, so those guys are probably a little bit better off than the other guys. (laughs) Because they have somebody to cook for. (laughs) (laughs) Important. Food. Where's the food? <laughs> Jesus. Okay. Um, I love how that's what we think about first in this situation. <laughs> yeah. So the news of their terrible predicament had now spread throughout the stern, um, causing Chief Engineer Raymond Seibert of Norfolk. Ayo. Ayo. Shout out Norfolk. Shout out to Norfolk, um, who was played by Casey Affleck in the movie, by the way. Just a little fun fact. Oh, so, cool. movie on this? oh, yeah. If you look at the slides that I have, I included the movie poster for The Finest oh, Hours, cool. starring Chris Pine and Casey Affleck. <laughs> I do love me some Chris Pine. I oh, will say that. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm so, it's Casey Affleck right now. Yeah. It's on um, Disney Plus if you have it. Um, so you can go watch it after this. It's a great movie. Perfect. Um, so yeah, Raymond Seibert of Norfolk, basically he ordered to cut the engines off, um, which is amazing that they were even still working with the ship cut in two, but they were, um, and men were rushing to nail down the hatches as water began spilling into the lower levels basically creating a more precarious situation for the Pendleton's back half. Um, Outside, the crewmen could now see what was left of the bow disappearing between the waves in a snowy fog, carrying all seven of the commanding officers on the bridge. Many seasoned crewmen described conditions they had never seen before in their lives. Um, Trying to get up top, uh, third assistant engineer Wallace Quincy said, I got to the stern and the waves must have been 50 feet high. They swept 
the boat deck, the highest deck, and came within five feet away from breaking right at the top of the mast. So this was a big storm, big waves. Um, yeah. Like not Trouble. good. Yeah. I, I've only ever been out in 30 foot seas and that was enough. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't need to do any higher. Um, once they start getting into like the 50, 60 category in a storm, that's when they reach like ship destroying capability. Oh. Yeah. Good to know. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm ever going to be out on the high seas in my lifetime, but. Well, when I was in 30 foot seas, I was on a cruise ship. So okay. what happened to you? <laughs> <I've been anyone. laughs> it was very loud. I'll say that it was very loud. We were in a tropical storm. Uh, coming yeah. back from Florida, going up to Baltimore, and uh, we got caught off Cape Hatteras in a tropical storm. Oh, so. figure! <laughs> I got no sleep that night, and not because I didn't want to sleep. It was just so loud; everything was shaking. Yeah, and then you would like raise up and then slam down <laughs> in your bed. It's awful. Didn't get seasick though. Weirdly yeah. enough, I drank I a lot. Have, I definitely would have vomited so much. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so it's bad, bad, bad. So the command of the back half of the Pendleton now fell to Ray Seibert because he was the most senior ranking individual now on board because all seven officers were on the bow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he began assigning lookout watches, ordering all the doors to be sealed and assessing all of the damages on the still miraculously floating back half. So the reason why the ship cracked in half was not necessarily to do with anyone's seamanship. It was more to do with how it was built very cheaply. You know, I was going to say, like, I don't think anything cracking in half is a seamanship problem. No, no. It's just capitalism. Hey! <laughs> hey, yo! <laughs> so uh, the Pendleton was a T2 tanker, um, which were also known as serial sinkers or Kaiser's coffins. Oh, yeah. God. So they called them this because they were notorious for splitting in half. Um, and it's because they were built with subpar welding methods that they did that in order to save money, basically. So Okay, so like... Here's my thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I have another thought. Go figure. Um, so if we know that these boats are built poorly, mm-hmm. why are we using them? Because it's cheap. Yeah, but like safety. You're going to be out in the middle of the ocean. Who cares about the working force? It's not the working force that owns the ships. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it doesn't make any sense capitalism baby (laughs) and this isn't the only example of this either which is so basically with this poor welding along with the 50 to 70 foot waves were what had caused a giant metal ship to snap like a toothpick literally um yeah so because of the fact that the ship split the back half was without communication um the bow held the excuse me i'm burping go figure i'm drinking beer all that carbonation on Sunday. i i know it's like half the fucking bottle like it's crazy (laughs) (laughs) 
Like it tastes good, but like there was way too much carbonation. I didn't start burping earlier when you said there was a lot of carbonation in there. I was like, oh, here we go. Oh God, Jillian burp time. Um, Burping and telling stories with Jillian Swinford. And I was like, do we need to rename the podcast? Oh, here comes Swinford. Here it comes. So basically, basically the bow which held the ship's radios were no longer connected to power um and then the aft section which was cybert section had power but they didn't have any radios oh god that's so, so annoying. i yeah it's like do, which one would be better yeah yeah I'm not sure um so they were basically at the mercy of the storm they weren't able to contact anybody um so here's the fun bit about this one so to make things worse, another tanker trying to ride out the storm offshore Cape Cod called the SS Fort Mercer had also broken in half. Ugh, wait, what? Oh, yeah. Are they like on the same cruise for the most part? Uh, I don't know where they had come from, but they were heading to Boston. Yeah. So, yeah. So another ship had broken in half. That ship had managed to send an SOS out to the Coast Guard. So all of the Coast Guard stations on Cape Cod were now rushing out to help the Mercer, and they were completely oblivious to the fact that there was another ship in dire straits. Yeah, I was about to say, please tell me that like they were trying to get out to the Mercer and came across the Pendleton and thought it was the Mercer, and then the Pendleton was like, oh, tight, we got yeah. tight. And then the Mercer was there like, yo, what the fuck? Where's, <laughs> where's our rescue? <laughs> um, so if you look at the first slide, there is a map, um, and you can see where the, uh, the Mercer and the um, Pendleton <laughs> were located, plus the front half and back half. So... Um, A and B are the Pendleton, and then C and D are the Mercer. Okay, so A and B are close to the Massachusetts Peninsula. Yes. Like, pretty much near shore. Yeah. And then C and D are far out in that water. Yeah, yeah. So, so we'll post those Pendleton's on... Close. Yeah, Pendleton's close to shore, and then Mercer is way out there. Yeah, but the fact that, like, they have locations of the front half and back half is, like, fascinating to me. I think that's funny. It's kind of humorous. And the Pendleton front half and back half are closest to each other than the Mercer is. Like, the Mercer mm-hmm. pretty much drifted, it looked like. Yeah, yeah, they were... They had not as good as of a time as the Pendleton, um... Which Are I we going to talk about that story within the story? Um, I don't remember if I wrote stuff about that one. I might have. We'll see. I was just curious. We're going to find out. <laughs> this is what happens when I write, wrote these like months ago. And now that we're actually doing the podcast, I'm like, whoa, what did I research? Let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a surprise for both of us. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the Pendleton's two halves were actually spotted by radar because they were so close to shore by the Chatham uh, Coast Guard station. Um, So at first the Coasties thought it was the Mercer because they'd been hearing all that radio chatter. Um, But if that was the case, they figured out that the halved ship had drifted too far in the wrong direction. So they radioed a Coast Guard plane that was flying over the rescue attempts of the Mercer and asked the plane to go check out what they had seen on the radio or on the radar. 
Um, so the pilot radioed back with the news that it was not just one, but now two ships were broken in half off the coast of Cape Cod. But they were like, what the fuck is happening out there? <laughs> <laughs> um, but because most, almost all of the Coast Guard vessels were trying to rescue the men on the Mercer, there was no one to go out to the Pendleton. Mm, that sucks. No one, but Bernie Weber. Oh, hey, our hero, Bernie Weber. Bernie. Uh, so he's, um, yeah, the picture of the first slide. He's very sweet, average looking dude. Um, he is he looks pl- wholesome. He's wholesome. Yes. And he's played by Chris Pine in the movie. Because- <laughs> okay. And he definitely does not look like Chris Pine. <laughs> no, he's, he's sweet. I love that movies do that though. Like when they retell, you know, true stories, they don't like get normal average people. to Yeah. It's like, let's get like, this smoking hot dude to like, represent this totally average dude. Yeah. Let's find the hottest guy possible. Cause otherwise people <laughs> won't go see the movie. It's like, I almost wish they didn't do that. Cause then it would make it more real, I guess. Yeah. Um, not really bashing the finest hours. Cause it, it was a really good movie. I did like it. Um, and I do like Chris Pine, but it is kind of funny that they do that. <laughs> yeah. Not cool. <laughs> um, so I'm going to be calling him Bernie Weber, though, because that's how they pronounce it in the movie in their bad Boston accent. <laughs> oh, no. Here we go. Bernie Weber. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'll try not to do it that much, but it is funny because every time I see his name, I'm like, Bernie Weber. <laughs> Weber. <laughs> oh man. So who's Bernie Weber? Um Bosun guy. <laughs> he's a dude. He's a bro. <laughs> no, he's not a bro. He's a cool guy. Um, so Bosun's mate, first class Bernie Weber, Weber, was a 24-year-old from Milton, Massachusetts. Um, and he was a quiet, well-spoken young man who was just worried about his wife, Miriam, who was home with the flu on the snowy morning of February 18th, 1952. That sounds like such a wholesome family story. Like, and, oh, I'm just going to go save some people while my wife is home with the flu. <laughs> yeah, so pure. So he had gone into the Coast Guard for adventure following his older brother, and the young man was already intimately familiar with the dangerous waters off of Chatham, Massachusetts, and he had already participated in some daring rescues. And so Weber, Weber, I can't, my brain wants me to say Weber. Uh, <laughs> you do you, boo-boo. Okay, Weber and a few other men were spending the morning down at the docks, ensuring the fishing boats were tied fast to their moors, when a man from the Chatham station drove down in a truck to tell them the news. Weber would be taking the 36-foot, 36-500 uh, Coast Guard cutter out over the Chatham bar because all the other Coast Guard boats were helping the Mercer and somebody needed to try to get out to the Pendleton. So yeah, we're going into 50 to 70 foot seas in a 36 foot boat. This kind of reminds me of uh, the endurance life rafts. Mm-hmm. Like the aspect ratio or not aspect ratio, but you know what I'm saying? The size. Yeah, the size. Yeah. Yeah. The ratio of boat to wave. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. My tired brain was not connecting those dots. So you can see um, 
on slide two, they still have the CG 36500 at a Naval History Museum in Cape Cod, oh, so you fun. can go see it. But it's not big. It's not very big. I mean, it's bigger than the Endurance Lifeboats, but it's, yeah, definitely not that big for what size of waves there were. Yeah, and um, how many people they were potentially going to have to rescue in oh, the boat. Oh, shit, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God, that's not going to hold all those people. Yeah, so... Um, oh, <laughs> So after a long day of securing the town and driving up to the Nauset Beach Coast Guard Station to try to get a better view of the floundering split ship because they could now literally see this boat from shore, but nobody could get off the boat because the water was so bad, dangerous. They would have drowned immediately. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So Weber returned to the Chatham Station um, to his commanding officer, Daniel Clough, telling him, Weber, pick yourself a crew. You got to take the 36500 out over the bar and assist that ship. You hear? And that's a direct quote. I was like, do you say it just like that? <laughs> He's from Virginia, so. <laughs> so chances are yes. <laughs> yeah. He's played by Eric Bana in the movie. So oh, cool. if you need more reasons to go watch it. Um, I mean, I love how you just like did a Virginian accent and like. <laughs> You've lived in Virginia for most of your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the fact that it said you here at the end, I'm like, I can't do that in a normal voice. I can't, I can't say that with a straight face, no. first of all. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Y'all come back now, you hear? You That's hear? what that is. Exactly, exactly. Um. So here's the thing about all of that. So this was sometimes dangerous on a good day. Uh, The Chatham Bar was a sandbar that lurked just outside the protected harbor. Its sands shifted constantly and were always changing. And it was a mariner's worst nightmare. Um, Shoals that were not there days ago would suddenly appear, creating deadly shallow water that in massive waves equals death. Um, And worse was the swells, the deep ocean swells that would gain speed as they rolled onto the shallow bar, crashing into breakers. So these were the conditions in good weather. The conditions would now be amplified tenfold in the storm. In a 36-foot boat, these swells would be absolutely terrifying and have a good chance of carrying them to a watery grave. So. Watery grave. Yeah. Um, but Weber accepted the cast tirely, tiredly, for if he didn't go, the Pendleton would receive no assistance at all. Um, but to Weber and many others, it was a suicide mission, and it was likely that they wouldn't come back. Um, oh, man. So that's kind of what you signed up for when you actually, like, are on a Coast Guard station and rescuing people, like... I know a lot of people make fun of the coasties myself included um, <laughs> but like the rescue teams are like badass yeah they have to go out right yeah they can't just say no yeah exactly so weber asked for volunteers as was the coast guard way on dangerous rescues um richard lives livesley lives livesy that's a hard one Um, An adventurous young man who signed up for the Coast Seas because he didn't want to wait 10 months to recruit to the Navy was one of them. And then also Andy Fitz, Fitzgerald, um, who was an undersized young man with a lot of fight. 
he was spunky. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, the last last member of their crew was Aaron Ma- or Irvin Mask, who was literally just moving through Chatham Station, waiting for transport back to his Coast Guard vessel, which was stationed near Monomoy Point. Um, so he didn't even belong to Chatham Life Station, and he volunteered. Um, oh. So yeah, so he had a lot to lose to a young wife and life back home. And he was certainly not expected to volunteer, but he did anyway. Good for him. Yeah. So Weber, Livesey, Fitz, and Mask, four men who had never been trained together, and the three had never met Mask before in their lives, um, stared down the rescue mission that could very easily become its own tragedy in and of itself. Um, The snow was coming down hard and thick as they motored out of the harbor on the 36500 at about 6 p.m. Um, the 36500 was a five-year-old wooden boat, 36 foot long with a 10 foot beam. So that's the width. And then a three foot draft, which is like how deep the hole goes into the water. Um, the boat was covered with a wooden canvas deck, which protected the engine room from flooding, which is similar to what they did to the ship in the endurance story. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, this is the cool thing. And I've been on a ship that's like this and it does make me feel a little bit better. Um, so it was a self-writing boat. So meaning if it flipped upside down in the water, it would write itself using like this counterweight system. Oh yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. That kind of changes the game a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So it had some secrets. <laughs> It, uh, it pulls out the old razzle-dazzle, huh? Mm-hmm, the old razzle-dazzle. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the funny thing, is, like, although it didn't look it, it was probably one of the best boats that they could have taken out in these conditions. Yeah. yeah. So just imagine you're going out there, and you just keep capsizing, but you just keep flipping over. <laughs> it's just, like, a constant, like, turnaround every, like, 20 minutes. <laughs> Jesus. so <laughs> the ship i was on in the pacific was also self-writing um but only to a certain angle like if it went past that angle you were screwed but if oh, it, okay. yeah yeah so that yeah. did make me feel a little bit better being out yeah. there but yeah at some point i think it doesn't write itself anymore <laughs> gotcha. so they're heading out to the bar they begin to hit the waves The crew began spontaneously singing as the freezing cold waves and spray began to batter the boat as a way to combat fear. And they do this in the movie and it's really cute and it'll make your heart melt. Um, But they stopped as soon as they hit the bar because they began cutting into 60 foot waves, um, waves that were almost twice the size of the boat. The wave tossed the vessel in the air like a dog playing with a toy, only to send them crashing back down onto the surface of the sea. Another wave struck, washing over the deck, soaking the already freezing men. It's February in Massachusetts. It's freaking cold. Um, And uh, the waves also sent glass from the windshield towards Weber, cutting his face. So then they didn't have a windshield. Um, Yeah, so the boat spun around completely facing the shore, which is the most dangerous position for 
sorry, excuse me, the boat to be in. Weber only had seconds to steer the boat back into the waves before the next one hit, but he managed to do it. Um, Saltwater consumed the boat once more, and the boat uh, leaned so far that uh, Live Z feared the boat wouldn't right itself. Um, once the wave released the boat, Weber punched the throttle. A few seconds later, they were hit by another wave. As Weber geared up to punch the throttle before the next wave hit, the four men realized they couldn't hear the sound of the engine. Oh, no. God damn it. (laughs) Why? This is real life. Holy shit. And the reason we know about it is because it's a good survival story. People survive. (laughs) (laughs) Everything's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Um, So they were sitting ducks in the middle of the Chatham bar with no motor and another enormous wave bearing down on them. Basically, the engine had stalled out. So Fitz began making his way from the bow down to the engine room, which wasn't very far because it was only 36 foot boat. Um, And so he went down there. He was bounced against the walls and the burning hot engine as the waves continued to pummel the boat. So he got, you know, burned. Um, and then he held down the priming lever, waiting for the gasoline to begin flowing to the engine again before restarting the mo- motor. So up top, Bernie Weber noticed that the waves were bigger, but they were also farther apart, meaning they weren't hitting the shallow bar anymore. This meant that they had made it over the worst of it. They had defied the odds. The Chatham bar was now behind them and the motor or the engine was working again. During their bashing, however, the compass, the only way they really had of navigating in the snowy darkness was broken. So now I have no way to navigate. Um, Fun stuff. They had yeah, stars. Yeah, they didn't have like radar in every ship, you know, or boat yeah. like they do now. Um, it was the 50s. So the radio was now tied up with communications about the Mercer. So like they couldn't even have the Chatham light station helped them navigate either. Mm. That's interesting. So that makes the, sense. That's, yeah. that's also interesting. Yeah. So meanwhile, back on the Pendleton, the stern was still afloat, still being bashed about on the seas. The men aboard the Pendleton, luckily still had water, food and heat. So that's good. Um, Cause those are things. Only half I, of them did. Well, we're talking about the stern still. We don't know what's going on on the bow. Oh, yes. Okay. Stern. So we're, we're only going to talk about the start until okay. I, t- I tell you what happened to the bell. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Get on with it. <laughs> um, but they had been afloat for 14 hours without any contact or knowledge that the outside world was on its way. So I had no idea. Uh, Cybert was now the de facto leader and had an enormous responsibility. He was handling it the best he could. So on top of round-the-clock watches, Cybert ordered the damaged part of the stern, so that's the part that used to be attached to the bow, um, to be kept out of the worst of the weather and the waves. And they could do this because they still had a rudder to adjust what direction they were facing. Um, so the crew had become exhausted due to being in a constant state of high alert, anxiety, and adrenaline since the ship had broken in half, knowing that they were only one big, huge rogue wave away from sinking. Um, 
on watches, they continued to shoot off flares and blow whistles in the hope that someone would hear, but the deck was becoming more dangerous because it was covered in like an icy spray. So it was very slippery. Um, so basically if they slipped, they could slide to their death and no one would be able to really help them. So halfway through their ordeal, the ship was pushed into a shoal where it got stuck. Um, with every wave, the ship began listing to the point where the men began to debate getting into the lifeboats, um, but the seas were too heavy still, and it would likely result in all of their deaths because the waves would crash the boats to pieces against the ship. So that's why they, even though people could see them from land, um, it's not like they could go anywhere. So as long as the stern was still floating, their best bet for survival was to stay on it. Meanwhile, Bernie and his crew were facing the 50 to 60 foot waves. I mean, these were really big seas. So I know we kind of talked about this earlier, but for example, most surfers would not even attempt these waves. Like mm-hmm. they're only surfable by big wave surfers that, you know, use um, jet skis to get them to the top of those things. Mm-hmm. Like it's an extreme kind of thing. Um, they were twice as tall as their ship. And every time, or as their boat, I guess, and every time the boat would hit a wave, it would be submerged in a world of icy spray, soaking all formatted freezing cold water. Their only option was to ride the waves like a roller coaster, hoping they were going in the right direction without their compass. God. They didn't know where they were going. They were just like, well, we gotta go look around. (laughs) (laughs) Living on a prayer. Yeah, pretty much. So, Yeah. Yeah. Then, as Bernie peered through his broken windshield, he saw an ominous dark shape rising out of the waves. His heart stopped as they slowly. (laughs) (laughs) As they slowly motored closer, Fitz swung the searchlight around in front of them. Then they saw the hulking shape of the Pendleton stern. Oh. So they ran into it by accident. Nice. Yeah. So at first they thought it was a ghost ship, um, meaning that there was no one on board. But one by one, the men of the Pendleton came out and began waving ecstatically. As the 33 men remaining Pendleton crewmen began to swarm the decks, Bernie's heart sank. Because now, how would he get these men off the ship in these waves to a 36 foot boat? That was only meant to hold like 20 men at the most. Yeah. That's a rough one. Yeah. So we got 33 crewmen on the stern. But before Weber could even try to put together a plan with his crew, the first man on the Pendleton began climbing down the Jacobs ladder and climbing onto the 36500. So, because <laughs> they were pulled right up next to the boat. Yeah. So the crewmen were like, Peace, we're getting on that little thing and getting the hell out of here. Yeah, I would have. <laughs> so there was no time to plan. The other seamen were coming. Their bodies were just crashing against the boat, some landing in the water um, where Fitz, Livesey, and Mask began pulling them from the water and making sure that they stayed on the boat. Um, Bernie had to maneuver the boat precisely so that he would be on the crest of a wave as the men jumped, making sure to be beneath them as they took the daring plunge. Otherwise, they could be killed by getting crashed against the uh, hole of the Pendleton. 
So once aboard, uh, Livesey and Fitz would begin shoving the men into the engine room and the hold of the boat. Basically, at this point, it was no man left behind. Um, they were just going to do it. Um, so Weber had to fight for elbow room as 31 men tried to make space aboard the ship. But there were two men left. George Tiny Myers, the gigantic, cheerful, well-loved man who was the steward or the chef, basically, on the boat. And Raymond Seibert. Um, so it's a tradition that the captain of the ship is the last to step off. Um, yeah. yeah. And so Seibert was the de-, de facto captain at this point, and he maintained his role with dignity, which just shows, you know, what a good guy he was too yeah. in this situation. So Myers slowly made his d- way down the Jacob's ladder uh, shirtless as he had given his clothes to the other crewmen to keep warm. Um and then he suddenly slipped and fell into the ocean. Livesey tried to grab for him, but it was too late. As Weber, tri- yeah, as Weber tried to maneuver the lifeboat towards Meyer in the water, a monster wave came up, smashing Meyer's body beneath or between the lifeboat and against the hull of the ship, which no. instantly killed him. Um, he was the only man on the Pendleton stern to not make it to the lifeboat. So, yeah, we're not, it's, it's like last week when we were talking about, you know, they rescued the, the boys from the cave, but, mm-hmm. you know, somebody died in the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Seibert had just seen his friend killed. Um, yes, and, yeah, and he had to go down the ladder after. Um, but he made it, and now Weber had the task of getting the small lifeboat that was now laden down with 36 men including his crew back to Chatham Harbor and back over the bar with no navigational aid. So the chips are still very much stacked against them at this point. I'd say so. Yeah. So Weber knew the general location of the vessel. um, So he hoped he could make it to Nantucket sound or maybe to shallower waters to a beach where they could like, get on to land and maybe get some help from people. Um, it would be dangerous and the men would have little time to rush through the surf ashore, but it would be their best bet. So the seas were less heavy, but they were still high. The boat was now laden with the weight of 32 extra men. Livesy said it was like riding in a submarine. <laughs> you know how they are when they're just above the water. Uh huh. Yeah, that's what I guess it was like, (laughs) oh my God. (laughs) So, but then Bernie saw a flashing red light um, fit shine the searchlight on it and found that it was a buoy that marked the entrance to Chatham Harbor. They would still have to navigate over the deadly Chatham bar, but they had successfully navigated back to familiar waters. So they were all surprised as they neared the bar that the surf had become a little calmer. And since they were going with the waves, it would be a little less dangerous to go over the bar. Weber was able to punch the throttle and cut through all of the foam and go right over the bar. He radioed Chatham Station, informing them that he, his crew, the 32 survivors from the Pendleton Stern had made it back to Chatham Harbor. Um, and the radio opera was stunned. No one could believe that they had actually made it back. They thought they were sending them on a suicide mission. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm sure. And then Weber, he just shows up 
It's like I made it. <laughs> you thought. Um, yeah. <laughs> so the entire town of Chatham had turned up, and a thunderous applause rose from the docks as the thirty six five hundred motored in. Um, the men aboard the boat began crying in relief, happiness, and exhaustion. Every man, including the one shoved into the hold, got off the boat before Bernie as he was the captain. And even in his exhaustion, he held his duty as the captain um, as being the last man off. So Weber's supervisor, Daniel Chuff, admitted that he didn't think he would see any of them again. Yeah. Um, which is kind of not cool, but... Definitely not cool. <laughs> At least he's honest. Yeah. Um, only five members of the other halved tanker, the Fort Mercer, were rescued. So they sent all those people out there, and they only were able to rescue five. Oh, wow. Um, because they were so far offshore that the waves were even worse. So it was hard to get people onto lifeboats. Um, it took them, I think, a couple of days to actually get anybody off the boats. Or off the ship. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, and then the bow of the Pendleton unfortunately sank, killing all seven officers, and only one body was recovered from that. Um, Bernie Weber put in 18 more years in the Coast Guard. When he was thinking about retirement, he was pulled into the Vietnam War, um, securing American occupation occupied coastlines um, after returning from nam he retired from the coast guard in 1966 um, although he has received high acclaim and was awarded the gold life-saving medal he does not consider himself a hero but he um, is a hero absolutely but without him 32 men's lives would have been lost to the waves off of cape cod um, and that's one of the most amazing rescues in Coast Guard history, even to this day. I'd say so. So if you look at slide two, you can see everybody um, coming back into uh, Chatham Harbor that night mm-hmm. on the 36500. Um, and most of the men were below in those compartments. So that's why you can only see the four coasties on the deck. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and then if you look at slide three, you can see the bow and the stern of the Pendleton. Um, and because they were in such shallow water, um, you know, you could still kind of see them above the surface, even as they sunk. Um, yeah. So, yeah, eventually the, pen- the stern of the Pendleton did succumb to the waves. And if all of those men were still on, it, they would have died. So. Wow. Yeah. How amazing is that? I know. Most of them survived. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. Story. Mm-hmm. Thanks, so, Julian. yeah, I hope, even though some people still died, I'm sorry. Um, a little uplifting. Yeah, um, could have been more, though. Could have been especially more. around the point that this is going to be released around the 4th of July. Um, so just like to thank our service men and women oh, yeah. for what yeah. they do. Um, and the coasties are definitely part of that, even though the other four branches <laughs> like to rag on them. Um, but without them, we wouldn't have, you know, people getting rescued in the waters off of our country. And that's not good. So we yeah, need so them. Your service. Yeah. I mean, I've been out there a time or two, especially, you know, the time that I was on a sinking boat, um, 
thinking very much how glad I was that the Coasties were right there. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. So props to them. Props to them is correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Don't know if you just heard that yawn, but I'm sorry if you did. <laughs> All good. All right. Well, let's go into uh, good things that happened to us this week uh, or good things that may happen. Mm. Can be a small good thing. I really just this week I've been working from home and this weekend I stayed local and kept it chill. So I really didn't do anything this week or weekend other than work. Um, so this coming week, though, let's look at my calendar and see if I have anything on here. But <laughs> I don't know what to do anymore with my life. Um, That's why I said it can be something small. It could be a little bit. Again, can't really. Oh, oh, okay. Here's one. <laughs> Found one. <laughs> <laughs> so um, on Thursday, I'm going to an art studio with my boss and we're going to have like a little wine girls night art making session. That'll be nice. That'll be fun. Yeah. Cause there's this, um, girl in Key West her studio is called Ocean Blue Studio and I really Mm -hmm. like her artwork it's like um it's like epoxy kind of oh but um it looks like waves like ocean waves uh or no 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 it I I don't know I don't know what to call it (laughs) um so it's alcohol inks have you heard of that no what kind Um, of yeah, abstract alcohol inks. Oh, well, that should be fun. Yeah, I really like her art though, and uh, it's like dreamy kind of looking. Oh, thing. it's like marbled. Uh huh. Like it yeah. looks like when you drop food coloring into water. Yes. Yeah. yeah okay. Sorry, I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> yeah, no, you're good. I I don't know how to describe art like at all. So. No, it's fine. That'll be nice and calming though. I feel like. Yeah. And then you'll have something nice to take home. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to be on Thursday. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be nice. Um, yeah. So my good thing um, actually happened a couple days ago. I got an email from somebody who works in my organization. I'm not going to say names or anything because I want to, you know, keep privacy because um, I didn't get permission to use their name. Um, and then they said uh, that they, and I don't know this person at all. So this is somebody I don't know. Um, and they just said that they wanted to say that they love the podcast. Um, and they had a sneaking suspicion that um, I worked for the same organization that they did. And they Googled me um, to check. And they said, I just got back from a cross country road trip and listened to all y'all's episodes. Thanks for the entertainment. That was nice to hear because I'm over here thinking like, gosh, this is only getting to our friends and family, but turns out it's not. Turns out people are are actually listening, which is Mm -hmm. really awesome. Not that our friends and family aren't people, but you know, you're obligated. (laughs) Are they though? (laughs) No, because my mom doesn't listen. (laughs) My parents hardly listen too. They're like, oh, we kind of listen to some and we have to get back to it. I'm like, yeah. okay yeah yeah. don't don't even lie to me (laughs) my mom's like you guys cuss too much (laughs) oh sorry sorry 
Sorry, I'm just being me, mom. God. Sentence enhancers. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I know it's not for everybody. Like the style podcast is not for everybody, but I it was just, not. it really did kind of make my whole week. Um, they said they were worried about being a, a mega creep though, because they looked me up, but I was like, I don't know. I think it's kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> like I like to be creeped on. <laughs> well, we all creep on people. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's a cursory search of my name and that organization would give you the answers you need. I know. It yeah. really would be hard. If you know someone's name and like the field that they work in, it really isn't that hard to find them. Especially with a name like mine. Like there's not another Jillian Swinford working in marine biology, probably yeah. in the world. Yeah. I would wager. Also, like, if you have like a LinkedIn, like right. your LinkedIn is like the first thing that pops up. Right. So yeah. So that doesn't surprise me. Um, but yeah, so that was nice. Um, when this podcast airs, I will be back from Maui. So hopefully I'll, you know, be able to tell you guys about how that went and some of the fun things we did, but, um, yeah other than that I guess yeah I'm just looking forward to going on that trip because it's very overdue (laughs) yeah I'm really excited for you guys and I can't wait to hear all the stories because I have always wanted to go to Hawaii as well and yeah yeah it's my third time going but this is my first time going to Maui the other two times I was on Oahu and Corey's never been so it's going to be like a new completely new experience for him I love it yeah and it's yeah. like legitimately like one of my favorite places on the planet. Like it's one of those places I think everybody has this where you go and you just feel like this kind of, this is going to sound so hippie, just not lean you know, into it, lean into it. <laughs> but you kind of feel this like really strong connection with a place. Um, and I have a few of them, but Hawaii, like the Hawaiian islands are like probably one of the most you know that I have that feeling with um and I'm not native Hawaiian it is not my land and I realize that and I recognize that but I want to conserve and respect that land as much as I can because in its natural state in its native Hawaiian state it is its most beautiful like Honolulu's eh, it's a city the one yeah. nice thing about it is that you can literally walk off the beach and snorkel and see all kinds of cool shit. But yeah. I mean, I want to support like local communities and stuff and, and not necessarily support like the big resort tourism industry. Okay. So, so anyway, sorry about that. About <laughs> Tangent. <what>? Yeah. <laughs> um, I just remembered I forgot to do my citations. <laughs> I'm going to do them. Yeah. So I actually only have one for this one and it's a book. Um, It's called the finest hours, the true story of the U S coast guards, most daring sea rescue um, by Michael J. Togias and Shay Casey Sherman. Um, So if you want to read more about this, um, that actually gives you the full scoop on the Mercer as well. So that, whole rescue deal as well if you want to know what happened to the other ship in its entirety um it's sadder than this one that's for sure yeah i don't feel like being sad right now yeah so um and then if you don't want to be sad 
go watch the Finest Hours movie um, because it's actually fairly accurate to the real story, which was oh, really? pretty cool. Um, and I love when they actually do that in movies because so many times they Hollywood it up, you know. Yeah. Sure. So, yeah, the actual rescue part is very accurate to what actually happened. Um, so, yeah, so go watch that on Disney Plus um, if you have it. All right. So where can our listeners find us if they want to send us a survival story of their own or family members or friends yes. or just to say hi? Well, we always love a good message. Mm-hmm. The DMs. Yeah. And you guys can do that on our website, motherneaturewillkillyoupodcast.com. There is a contact form that you can fill out and it will send to us or you guys can hit us up on the Instagram at Mother Nature Will Kill You Podcast, or you can hit us up on Twitter at MNWKY Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, what the, do I have podcast on the end of that one? Gosh, it's so much in my mouth to say. Yes, you did. Uh, okay. So, yes. And then on Twitter, it is mnwky podcast so yes yes so go say hello give us your support um and you can listen to us on spotify um google podcasts apple podcasts yeah and then our actual website also has all the podcasts and the show notes if you want to look at pictures um and notes and stuff like that yeah Um, i'm having some technical difficulties with the website right now so i'm in the middle of trying to figure that out okay so show notes should be on there but if they're not hang tight and i'll get them up there as soon as possible yeah um and then another way to support us is to leave a review for our podcast on any of the podcast apps except for spotify i think that's the only one you can't leave reviews on no i'm looking up the apple one right now yeah so apple and um uh google sorry that's the other one um and that can help basically tell the big computer algorithm algorithms that we're worth listening to and will put us up on people's pages that have similar interests and mm-hmm. hopefully get more listeners that way. So if you want to do that, go ahead and do it. Leave us a five-star review. Um, we'll take it. <laughs> I, um, I really thought you were going to go the financial route with that. Like no. another way to support us is to know Haley at. <laughs> Just send us money. Okay. Um, no, I don't think we're going to try to do that until we get a bigger listenership. No, um, I know. That's why I was like, wait, where's she going with this? I mean, cause this isn't like a survival podcast in the sense that we need it to uh, pay for our life. Um, because we both have full-time jobs which is why this is only bi-weekly because that's that's what we can do (laughs) to be honest um between having to work you know full 40-hour jobs um but yeah so um with that uh we can go ahead and sign off so until next time stay safe but most of all stay curious explorers see you later just just go i don't (laughs) I don't want to see you anymore. Just, just go. Get out of here. (laughs) Don't look at me.